I'm going to kick off um, a new series this, this morning called Unexpected. And uh, I think it's, I think there's a lot of irony in the idea that the way Jesus came was unexpected. That people weren't thinking about it. I think it's going to be unexpected when he returns. The Bible says that when he comes back, it'll be a day and an hour that you that you're not aware of. Through this next four weeks, I'd like us to make a transition from from unexpected to expecting. And I think I think I hope hopefully give you a little clearer picture of what that looks like today. We're going to read from Matthew chapter one and chapter two. I'm going to. I'm going to read um, read a, a little a little longer portion today to kind of make the point. I'll do it in my best Christmas orator voice. We're going to read from Matthew chapter one, um, and uh, I'm excited. I preached really hard first service, and I'm going to preach really hard this service. Pray for the people to come to third service. Because this is something I'm passionate about. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word? You can find it on the screen or in the Bible app or the Hope Community Church app or still printing those Bibles. Find it there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, say amen if you're ready. Berkeley Springs said amen, I'm sure. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, he went on their way. They went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, 
They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we came here on purpose to lift up worship to you, to praise you, to be in your presence. God, now as we look into your word, we pray. We pray that our experience with you today would change us. This just wouldn't be another trip to church, God, but we would have an encounter with you and that we'd be different because of it. Thank you for the opportunity to do that. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Matthew, out of all the gospel writers, is a master at linking the Old Testament prophets with what is currently occurring. In the, in the life of Jesus. There is, um, Jesus in his death and life and resurrection, all those things. It is said that he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Now, you can get online and you can research, you can uh, research the statistical probability of, of one man fulfilling maybe 10 or 15 prophecies from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But, but if, you, if you look into it, the statistical probability of one man fulfilling 300 of those old prophecies is effectively zero. It only happens once. So skeptics have used all kinds of excuses for this. They, they used to say, uh, that, well, well, what happened was the, the gospel writers waited. They waited until Jesus did something, and then they went back and filled in the prophecy and made it look old. You know, you got, you got friends that do that, right? That something will happen, and they go, oh, no, 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 I knew that was going to happen. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. But with 
discoveries over the last hundred years, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that, we found that not only did they not go back and fill in the blanks, that those things were there way long before anybody had expected them, already written down. So Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, and he's connecting the two. He's connecting the Messiah, and he's connecting all the Old Testament. He's saying, look, listen to me. He's the one. And in Matthew chapter 1, where we read in chapter 2, there's four or five instances where he's saying, and the prophet said, and the prophet said, and the prophet said, and, and Mary was a virgin, and he came to Joseph in a dream. The angel didn't say, hey, listen, take her as your wife. It's okay. This is from the Holy Spirit, and this is special. And so Joseph does it, and to fulfill the prophecy, he would be born of a virgin. 800 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah would write, Hero then, O house of David, is it too little for you to, to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 800 years before he's born. The prophet Micah wrote around the same time, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, were too, were who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Matthew's quoting him. A hundred years later, Jeremiah would write, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Matthew would connect Jeremiah's prophecy about Herod slaughtering all the newly born male children because he heard of where Jesus would be born. Rachel in this picture that Jeremiah uh, paints is not just a single woman. She's a representation of all the women in Israel. Mourning because the king said, I can't take a risk of of another king being born around here. So he's slaughtering babies. Come on, somebody, the Christmas story ain't all cheery. 700 years before it happened. And then Isaiah also wrote in Isaiah 53 about Jesus being despised. We'll get into this in a second. But hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty, majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should, des- that, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Remember that. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and was esteemed not. As I said, Matthew's a a master at this, linking, linking what was said 800 years before with the birth of Jesus. So that forces us to ask the question. It does seem like everybody was shocked when Jesus was born. It does seem like, like we paint that picture like nobody was expecting. Nobody's expecting to be born in a manger. Nobody's expecting to be born in Bethlehem. Nobody's expecting from Nazareth. Nobody's expecting anything. Nobody's expecting anything. And I, want, I started asking myself, why? 
If people 800 years before this were writing that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, would be born of a virgin, would be born like this, this is how it would would happen. Why weren't they expecting it? And then I find out we're still those type of people, aren't we? Think about it. Like the funny part is um, Beth and I, our kids are adults now. We've been married um, long enough to just be okay with it, you know. Um, no, we're not just, we're, she still loves me. It's crazy. But you know how many of us wing it raising kids? Anybody winging it right now? Just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Anybody winging it with your merit? No, just keep your head down. <laughs> keep that down low. But I started thinking about this. People, but how many millennia people have been walking the face of the earth, raising kids, being married. That we've been doing this a long time. And yet generation after generation, we're like, I wasn't expecting that. Do you know how many people had teenagers before you? Everyone. Effectively, everyone had teenagers before you. And then we get there, we're like, I don't know, ooh, ooh, that was a new one. No, it wasn't. Nothing about it was new. But we treat it like, oh, it's so unexpected. No, the reason it was unexpected because we never checked. We never asked anybody. Hey, you know what? I was observing that your kids are nuts. And so I was thinking, my kids are nuts too. What happened? Or walk up to somebody and go, hey, your kids, listen. How did you do that? I remember when Beth and I were first married, um, we started hanging around old people immediately. True? We went to a connect group at this church and everybody was old enough to be our parents. And I was 20 years old. I knew everything. (laughs) Ask me. And I realized when I got into that group with people in their 50s and 60s, that they were willing to tell us what to expect. It was like free. They didn't ask us to sign up for some class. They didn't say, download my latest master class in marriage. They didn't do anything. It was just like, hey, you know what? She ain't going to like you one day. It's going to happen. It's gonna, here's how you respond. And then they would tell her, you married an idiot. That's just true. Here's how you do it. And then we started realizing like, oh, wait, if we reach out, People have already done this. People have already done it. They've already raised kids. So we started looking at people who had marriages that we wanted to have. And we'd say, they know how to do it. So let's go figure it out. Let's go ask them how they stayed married 50 years. Let's go ask them how they stayed married 50 years and there's no visible scars on the outside of their body. Let's, uh, Let's ask them, man, their kids are successful. They got their own grandkids and the grandkids. How did they do it? So we started asking. And what you realize is then the unexpected can then be expected. Then you make this transition. Why? Because you went and found out. You didn't take your preconceived ideas and just went, well, this is the way it's going to be because I know how it is. No. We put away our preconceived ideas and we started going, okay, you tell us how, you tell us how this is going to work out. So what was happening in Israel at the time was not that they weren't expecting a savior. 
but they weren't asking the right questions about what to look for in a Savior. They had their ideas about how it should look. They had preconceived how things should happen. They had, can, I, can I just say, say this real quick? Some of the problem in marriages is you had a preconceived idea that wasn't accurate. Oh, it's cute, the newlyweds in here. They're just like, oh, it still feels so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You stick with that. You got to ask somebody. You have to ask because all of a sudden, if you, if you lower down your preconceived ideas and you start asking, then you start getting the real, the real story, Right? Because my response to people is one of two ways. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want to ask you a question, and then they start asking the question, and then you know those type of people where they ask you a question, but they tell you what they think in the question. I'm going to ask you, but I already know what to do. I'm like, oh, good. We should try that. You should try that. But people who were put down their preconceived ideas and come to me and go, hey, I genuinely want to know what you think about this, I'll, I'll talk to them all day. I have a feeling God's the same way. I have a feeling that when we look at scripture and strip away our preconceived notions about what God does and what he's supposed to do for us and how he's supposed to treat us and all this stuff, we strip away that and we go back to the foundation. We go back to the actually what he inspired, his words. Then we find out what we can expect. And then we're not shocked all the time. And that's an important part for the church to grab a hold of, to not be shocked all the time. If anybody should be confident on this planet, it should be the church. Except the church is walking around going, whoa, I didn't expect that, man. Whoa. And the world's looking at us like, didn't your God write the book? You claim you guys are reading it. So here we are. Matthew is going, hey, listen, this is what he said it was going to look like. And this is the guy that's fulfilling all that stuff. The truth is, Israel didn't accept it. The large majority of them went, he's not, he he doesn't look like what we thought he was supposed to look like. He's not operating like we thought he was supposed to operate. He's, He's not really, he's not checking all the boxes that we said that he should be checking. Matter of fact, this happened in Jesus' ministry early on. Jesus is calling his disciples to himself saying, hey, man, come follow me, come follow me. So in John 1, it says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Those guys knew each other. And Philip found a guy named Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. So now Nathaniel or Philip is telling Nathaniel, hey, listen, we found the guy that all the prophets talked about. He's, he's fulfilling what all the prophets said. He was born of a virgin. He's born in Bethlehem. He fled to Egypt. He did all the, he's checking all the boxes. And then Nathaniel says this. This is so funny. Nathaniel said to him, did you say Nazareth? Really? You said Nazareth, right? You didn't say New York City. You didn't say Chicago. You said Nazareth. Can anything good come 
from Nazareth. Now, let me take you back to the prophecy that that Matthew spoke of in Matthew chapter 2 that we just read. Matthew said that he would be from Nazareth to fulfill what the prophet said, he will be a Nazarene. But can I just let you in a little secret? There were no prophets written down in the Bible that ever said Jesus would be a Nazarene. Oh, now we have a contradiction. But let me fill you in a little bit on on Israeli culture at that time. If you were called a Nazarene, it wasn't... It wasn't just because of your, of your geographical location. It was, it was because it was a cut on you. People despise Nazarenes. There's nothing good ever came from, a, from Nazareth. And so if somebody said, hey, man, you're acting like a Nazarene, that would be offensive. If somebody said, you Nazarene, you must be a Nazarene. What? Those are fighting words. And so all of a sudden, it's fulfilling what the prophet said that he would be, Isaiah 53, that he would be despised among his people. Nathaniel, the guy that Philip is saying, hey man, come see the Messiah. Where's he from? Nah, that's not him. Nah, he didn't check my box. He's from Nazareth. Oh, wait a second. He actually did check the box. It just wasn't the box that you, you were looking at a different one because he checked the box that said he would be despised. And actually, you big dummy, you're fulfilling the prophecy for it. He checks all the boxes. He checks all the boxes of scripture. But the question is, it's unexpected because he doesn't check our boxes. What I'm going to attempt to do in the next month is to get us to go from being completely shocked and unexpected all the time to being over here expecting because we know what he looks like. We know his ministry. We know what he's going to do. He's Jesus. Matthew's taking great care to show this connection that Jesus and Jesus alone fulfilled all these prophecies. He is the Messiah. Because if you look for the right thing, it reduces the unexpected. If you look for the right thing, it reduces the unexpected. I remember my kids were younger. We would, we would go visit someplace. And, and uh, I, I remember being in New York City on the 16th birthday with my daughter. And, um, and we were walking down the street. She, she always wanted to go. So we went and spent the night in Times Square. Not like camping. But um, <laughs> we're from West Virginia. But we got a hotel. You know what I'm saying? So um, we were walking down the streets, packed. And it was dirt. It was a... Uh, it was uh, January, yeah, no, February, and, and it, was super, it was super cold, bright, sunshiny day. This was a beautiful day, just cold. And then that night it snowed like four inches, and New York City was covered in snow. It was beautiful. And then we, we, we skipped out before it got dirty. You know what I'm saying? Um, so we were walking down the streets. I'm not special ops. I'm going to just let you know that right now. But I'm paying attention because West Virginians are a little bit out of place. So we're, we're fitting in, but I'm, I'm looking around, paying attention, because I'm thinking everybody knows I'm not from there. So my daughter has her headphones in with her head down walking, and, and I'm like, hey, man, pick your head up, take your headphones up. got to pay attention. Man, we get mugged every night. Just true. <laughs> I do that every country. I go everywhere I travel. I'm like, like looking around. Because I don't want to get caught off guard with something I didn't expect. 
like, I just have this little inner thing that keeps telling me you want to see it coming. So I, I'm looking for the right thing. I just, I want to train myself to look for the right thing. Not, not crazy, but I want to, in life, I want to train myself to look for the right thing. Amen. I want to train myself to look for the right things in this world. You'll have trouble. Lord, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised when gas goes up. Not surprised when taxes go up. Not surprised when, when the economy starts. I'm not surprised. It's a cyclical thing. Not surprised. What should we be looking for? Trouble. That's what he told us. He said, in this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So in the world, I'll have trouble, but I can expect him to be with me in the middle of the trouble. Amen. So I expect this. I expect in relationships to have trouble. Not a lot, but a little, but I can expect it. It's not a shock. I can expect kids to be kids. I can expect people to be people. I can expect it because now I've looked at the real thing. I've looked at the expectation that he has. I've looked at it. I've looked at Paul's writing where he says, expect suffering. If you're going to follow Jesus, expect a little suffering. If you're, if you're going to follow Jesus, expect to be generous. Don't be shocked when Jesus says, hey, man, give it away. Oh, he shocked me when he did that. No, we should expect it. There's a, there's a part of scripture in John that we overlook a little bit. And I, I think it paints this perfect picture of maybe looking for the wrong thing. Matthew, John It's John chapter, I got it right here. No, it's actually in Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Let me stop there. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. They were cousins. John the Baptist was the pre-runner. Jesus himself would say there is no other human being on earth that has ever been like John the Baptist or ever will. J- Jesus proclaims John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. It, during Jesus' baptism, John puts him underwater, brings him back up, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended on him, upon him like a dove, and they heard the voice of the Father. Well done, my, or, uh, this is my son who I am well pleased. Could you imagine being about baptism? Could you imagine John brings them up out of the water? You got the son there. You got the Holy Ghost. The second, and then you got the father. You got the Trinity right there. You'd be like, woo, we need a food truck right now. And this will be a church service. So I need, that's the, that's the context that we're talking about. John was present for there in the water where Jesus, when it happened, you can't get any closer. And yet now John's in prison. He said some things about the king that were bold statements, true but bold. The king arrests him. John will end up losing his head over this thing. Not mentally, but physically having his head separated. And now he's in prison. He sends words of Jesus and listen to what he asks. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? John's saying, I had an expectation, but I, there's part of me that thinks you meet it, and then part of me that thinks I'm not sure. There's a, because as a, 
I mean, I don't know. Everybody around is talking about politics. Everybody around is talking about taxes. Everybody around is talking about being free from the Romans. Everybody around is talking about how this thing should work. Everybody around has got their opinion about who you should be and how you should have shown up. Everybody around is talking about what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Everybody around is talking about what the Messiah really looks like. And I am just asking the question, are you him or should I be looking somewhere else? The guy that baptized him. I love Jesus' response. Jesus rarely ever went, yeah, I'm him. Hardly ever. Here's the way he responded. Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. John, listen, if you had the same expectation that scripture says, you'd recognize it was me. John, because listen, that description that I'm giving you is what the Bible says I will do to proclaim freedom to the captive, to heal the sick, to raise it. It's the expectation of what the Messiah would do. And John, I'm doing it. So if it's not matching all of your thing, John, just know that I'm matching what was prophesied. Just know that I am him. Tell him this. Tell him what I'm doing. Tell him what I'm doing. Now, the problem with this description is it still doesn't fit our expectations. Still doesn't fit. We've been taught a worldview and we're looking, trying to find Jesus through that worldview. We're not adjusting it. We're keeping it and trying to get, find him in it. We're, we're, we've been taught politics are the end game. We've been taught wealth is the end game. We've been taught... We've been taught all these things are the most important. It's 24-7 all the time. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to fix that? Well, we're going to elect the right people. How are we going to do this? We're going to do this the way we're going to tackle it. We've, you've got to, the only hope for the United States is to do this, 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 this. Jesus, are you with us? Are you here? And he's still saying today, go tell them what you see. The blind see, the deaf hear. The sick are healed. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. And if your expectation looks any different than that, you're going to be shocked. Maybe even disappointed. What does it say he'll be like? The truth is Matthew's gospel in the first and second chapter, actually all the way through, is shouting at us. It's him. It is him. There's no other. It's him. There's no other savior. There's no other person. It's him. Him alone. Matthew's shouting it as loud as he can. Listen to me. It's him. So then we're, we're left with a choice to make. Do we stay over here as a church just shocked all the time? Man, I didn't think God would do that. 
Well, man, I was expecting God just to lower gas prices. I've been praying. But he didn't. I was shocked. I thought, Lord, you know the poor people. They need cheaper gas. And I wouldn't mind it too. Just do a miracle. Just lowered it Murphy's for us, Lord. <laughs> That'd be good. Lord, these taxes. Lord, these politicians. Lord, get my president in there. Do it for me, Lord. That's what you came to do. You know this country's going to hell, Lord, unless we elect the right people. And Jesus is still saying, go tell them what I'm doing. If they're expecting something else, if they're expecting something else, tell them the lame can walk. Tell them the blind can see and tell them the deaf can hear. Tell them that. Tell them don't look for anything else. Don't look for anything else. The church has to move from this being shocked all the time. Man, did you, I couldn't believe God did that. To over here. Because when you move from the unexpected to the expected, that's what we call faith. And now we're not operating in a realm anymore. We're like, oh, I can't believe you did it. We're like, I knew you would. Matter of fact, I based the next five decisions on that he would do it. That's faith. It's the confidence of things we can't see. It's the hope out in front of us that we can't touch. We can't, we can't quantify. We can't qualify. We can't, but we know because it's been written. This is what we should be looking for. He is, this is him. This is how he lived. This is how he, this is how he ministered. This is how he did it. And so now it's not unexpected. It's absolutely, I know how he would respond. So now I'm not walking around shocked anymore. I'm walking around looking for the opportunity. You know, it's fascinating. Jesus never stood in a crowd and went, I can't believe they brought me all these sick people. You believe it? No, 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 no. He would look at shocked disciples and say, feed them. Feed them. Oh, Lord, that's unexpected. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough supplies. We don't have enough of this. No, 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 feed them. What do you got? You got some loaves and fishes? Make it happen. Let's pray and break the bread and get them all fed. And then you see a transition in the disciples after Jesus dies and resurrects from being shocked all the time to expecting it. And the gospel goes forward so rapidly that the world can't contain it. Unexpected to expected changes everything. It will change it in your life. It'll change it in our community. It'll change it in our world. It'll change it faster than any political movement the world has ever seen. It'll change it faster than any social experiment. It'll change it every time, all the time. It'll change it when the church rises up and says, now we have an expectation that God it will be God in every single circumstance. And when I step into the unknown, he is there. Because we expect it. Because we've got a clear picture of who he is. Because we know his ministry. We know what he's capable of. We know the power he's given us. Amen? The band's going to come up. We're going to end. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he was born of a virgin, but it wasn't unexpected. He was born in Bethlehem, but it wasn't unexpected. He was... Rushed out to Egypt, not unexpected. 
He would minister on the earth, not unexpected. He would raise the dead, not unexpected. He would touch people with leprosy, not unexpected. He would heal people on the Sabbath, breaking the religious law, not unexpected. The religious people of the day would oppose him at every turn, not unexpected. He would be tried in a sham trial, not unexpected. He would be convicted, not unexpected. He would be beat beyond recognition, not unexpected. He would be crucified for your sin and mine, not unexpected. And on the third day, he would rise again, not unexpected. He told him over and over and over. Third day, I'm going to rise again, tear the temple down. The third day, I'll rebuild it. He kept telling him, he kept telling him, he kept telling him. Then he looked back at him and said, I'm coming back. Be expecting coming back, be expecting. But while I'm gone, the same things that you saw me do, I want you to do. While I'm gone, live expectantly. Don't be shocked all the time. Live expectantly. It's a church. I want to challenge you this morning. Stand to your feet. I'm going to get real, real, real serious here for a second. Because our culture has some things going on that historically the church hasn't handled well. We haven't. Because we've been looking in all the wrong places for fixes. We've been wanting Jesus to fix fix this over here. Lord, you... Do it through politics, or I'll vote the right way. I'll do it through that. Put put the right people in place, and then we stand over here. We say, "Lord, the culture is going to hell. Lord, the culture is going to hell." We don't understand. Culture is going to hell, Lord. But when I saw Jesus walking around, the culture was going to hell. He hung around with the people going to hell. He didn't say, you know what the fix to this is the Romans stop taxing us. That's what the fix is, the whole thing. If the Romans stop taxes, start start passing some laws that are, you know, more Jewish, then we'd see a transformation in this whole place. No, no, no. What he did was he started touching people with leprosy. He started reaching out. And when they would, when the disciples would be like, whoa, what are you doing? You're broken, I'll come help you. The woman called in adultery. The religious perfect expectation of a Messiah coming would have been him walking into that circumstance and agreeing with the men. But he broke down all those things and did the unexpected in their eyes and said, hey, if any of y'all, if any of y'all are without sin, go ahead and pick up a rock. But I know something about every single one of you. And they ended up walking out. And he looks at the lady and he says, hey, you got enough grace and mercy to get up uncondemned, touched. He said, I'm going to hang out with people even if I get called a drunk. I'm going to touch people even if I get called crazy. I'm going to minister to people no matter what it takes because if you want to change society, the church has to walk into the middle of it and embrace the people in it. Amen. Now listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. 
the hot topic button, the hot topics in our society right now, the ones that the church is afraid to talk about. All the issues the church is afraid to talk about will not be fixed by politics, will not be, people will not be introduced to Jesus because something is made illegal. It's never going to get fixed that way. But the way people are introduced to Jesus is in the middle of their circumstance, and right in the middle of their circumstance. The church walking up to them, not ostracized, but wrapping our arms around them like Jesus did and saying, hey man, I need to introduce you to somebody that can talk to you, that understands you, that can, that's known you since you were born, that understands your struggle, that understands what you're walking through right now, and wants to minister to you right now. And the church has a golden age opportunity where we need to stop sitting over here being shocked about the culture and being, oh, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. And step over here into faith and go, God, you set us on the earth for a time such as this. And when people turn away from you, we'll walk right into the pit of hell wherever they are. We'll wrap our arms around them. And if we got to drag them back up out of there ourselves, we will introduce them to you, whatever it takes. Amen. We got to start being for people. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything, but I got to agree that Jesus is the only answer. And it may be me that's the only person that's going to walk in there and tell them. Amen. So, Father, we ask you right now to empower us in this season especially, Lord. In this season especially, Lord, let the church be expecting your power, be expecting your grace, be expecting your healing, transforming power, Lord. Let us walk out of these doors not shocked anymore by who you minister to, but walking right into those circumstances full of you, full of grace. We thank you, Lord. Let us look for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church. Could you praise him one more time? Come on, make a commitment right now. Amen.